Appreciate that, ladies. Thank you very much. <clears throat> well, it is my honor this evening to be the one to stand before you and open the Word of God. Not an honor that I take lightly, and I trust that you will hear the message out tonight. Um, a lot of times we get through the introduction of a message, and we will decide by then whether we will listen to the content of the message or not. Um, by then, we, our minds have wandered, or we have decided to stay focused. And I want to encourage you, right off the bat, to stay focused. There may be some things that will come across as mundane in this message or the typical jargon that you hear all the time. But I want to I challenge you tonight to let's be focused and let's hear what the Lord has for us tonight. I was challenged through the message that the Lord gave me. And I believe if your hearts are open and you're willing to receive, that your hearts will be challenged as well through God's Word. If you would, turn this evening to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And uh, if you have a pen, I am going to get through the introduction of this, and then we're going to slam through a bunch of different points all at once. And, uh, and so if you have a pen handy and a sheet of paper, go ahead and get that out. And turn to Matthew chapter 11, and uh, Mark verse 28. And then if you would, turn over to John chapter 15 verse 4. Actually, you can go to John 15, 4 first. We're going to be Matthew and 11. We're going to read in Matthew 11 before John 15. All right. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 28. And John chapter 15. Everyone there got those things marked? Say amen. All right. That sounds like most everybody. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Let's begin reading there says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In this passage, we see the greatest invitation in all of the scriptures. The greatest invitation ever extended to anybody, and it is extended with unfeigned love. It is extended with everlasting mercy and unending grace. It is in this invitation that we, as beggars, are able to be elevated to the Master's table. It is through this invitation that the fatherless are able to enter into the family of God, and it is by this invitation that the damned are able to have an eternity secured in heaven. It is an amazing invitation. It is given to all those who are lost in their trespasses and sin. This invitation, when accepted, opens a portal to heaven, secures us a home in heaven, guarantees us joy unspeakable, and hope eternal. It is an amazing invitation. Come unto me. And I trust everybody that is in this room this evening has accepted the invitation extended by our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. An invitation to take our sinful burden and place it upon His shoulders. To become yoked with Christ. His yoke is easy 
and his burden is life. Any person who has lived any extent of life unsaved understands what that burden of sin consists of. For me, fortunately, I did not have to experience a great burden of sin, as in my exposure was not great in this world. I was protected, I was guarded, I was sheltered, and I thank God for every moment of it now. I did not then, young person, I did not then. Did not appreciate it for what it was. Was not thankful for what it was. But now, I am thankful for what my parents did to protect. This invitation to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the greatest invitation. Have you accepted that invitation tonight? Come unto me. This is such a demonstration of great love. Come unto me. Those three simple words that bid us into the Master's throne room to allow us access to our Heavenly Father is such an amazing thing. It is by this love that He demonstrated to us that we first begin our loving relationship towards Him. We love Him not because we started the relationship. We love Him because He first loved us. When we accepted this invitation, and I think this is universal, no matter if you were living in sin and had experienced life's hardships, or whether you were saved in a Christian home, there's some universal truths about what a person will experience when they accept Jesus Christ. They will first see that God's word is truth. They will see that he fulfills all his promises. They will see and experience that we are made partakers of his heavenly blessings. And we are caused to experience joy that is unspeakable. These all come through this invitation. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, uh, if you will, it's the beginning of a love relationship. And my, how that love blossoms and grows when we first come in contact with the Savior. When we are first invited, come unto me, and we accept that invitation, what a wonderful experience it is. And I emphasize that word experience because that's really what takes place. It's an amazing rush of emotion. To know that our burdens have been lifted, that our eternity is no longer damnation in hell, uh, but secured in heaven. It's an amazing thing to, to understand and to be able even just to dwell on that love that God would send His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God cannot be described. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and to every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints 
and angels' song. The love of God. It's an amazing thing that upon salvation we experience in a full bloom. However, time passes by. And as time passes, we begin to see or experience something different. The love and joy that was first experienced upon meeting our precious Savior begins to fade. The promises that were so preeminent, that were right there and obvious when we first accepted Him, don't seem so obvious anymore. His strength, almost in a way, begins to seem feeble. This is something that I know that I have experienced in my life, and maybe you haven't, but there's been times in my life as, as time has passed by that you begin to kind of distance in your relationship. Instead of growing deeper with the Master, your walk becomes more feeble and faint. I think we're all very keenly aware that it is not because He has changed, but rather that we have begun to change. It even gets to the point in some believers' lives where they begin to question the relationship with God to begin with. If God is real and Christianity is real and salvation is real and, and it was so real when it first happened, how come it's not so full in my life right now? Where is the fullness that should be here as a result of my walk with God? Oftentimes an emptiness can begin to creep in. As though that first love is missing or gone. As though His promises aren't as strong. As though His... His, as I mentioned earlier, as though his storehouse is begin, uh, beginning to empty, as, as though his boundless love, the love that couldn't be contained with an ocean full of ink, uh, has suddenly just dried up. You may not experience this exactly to that degree. We all experience it in different varying uh, levels of severity. Uh, how we begin to wander away from God. Not that He wanders from us, it is that we wander from Him. We are prone to wander. That is the nature of man. But I want you to notice, if you would, jump over to that second reference I gave you in John chapter 15. Because in John chapter 15, we'll take note of a plea, an invitation that is just as urgent, that is just as sincere, uh, that is just as important as the first. In John chapter 15, verse 4, we read, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Abide in me. Another invitation. An invitation extended by the same loving Savior who has the same boundless grace, unending mercy. And the invitation is to abide. I think far too often, far too often, we come, but we don't abide. Too many Christians come, but they don't abide. Why is there such a fall off? 
Why is there such a small number of aged Christians in the church? We have the largest aging population that this nation has ever known. And it seems as though it just drops off. Drops off. And oftentimes it doesn't happen in the old people. It happens in the 17 and 18 year olds. Happens in those coming out of high school, those in the college age bracket, who never made Christianity their own in the first place. And Pastor touched on that just recently. They never, never established their own faith in Christ, their own walk with God. Christians, we need to abide in Him. We need to abide in Him. And I want to encourage you tonight. I, I trust that you've already taken the invitation to come unto me. I trust that you've already accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If not, that is priority number one. You must first establish that relationship with God. But secondly, this evening, I, I want to encourage all of us to abide in Him. To abide in Christ. To abide is to adhere to. To dwell with or continue with. How close do you abide? It may be tonight that you are abiding in Christ. And I hope that's the case. I trust that you're closer to God tonight than you've ever been before. And if you are... I hope that this message encourages you to stay there. Not just for your sake, but for the next generation's sake. And if you're not abiding tonight, we're going to look at some things here that will help us to identify what it is to abide in Christ. How we can do it. And how we can know that we're there. See, sometimes abiding in Christ isn't something that we do purposefully. It's something that we don't do purposefully. Sometimes it's done ignorantly. We feel as though we've come to Christ, and why is the relationship not as fulfilling as it should be? Well, it's because we're not abiding. So tonight we're going to look at this idea, this concept, this principle taught in the Word of God, abiding in Christ. Follow, Lord, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts. God, I am nobody. My ability is... My mind is so full of fog tonight, Lord, I, I don't know how I'm going to even get through these things. But I pray, Lord, that you would help me to deliver this message that you've given to me for the church tonight. Lord, I am 100% confident this is what we need. And, Lord, I pray that you would just use me. I'm a willing vessel, Father. Lord, Holy Spirit, come meet with us tonight. Do a work in our lives. We need you. Without you, we can do nothing. And Lord, I want you to walk up and down these aisles. I want you to convict my heart of sin and righteousness and judgment. I want to know what it is to experience your, your, uh, your guiding hand tonight, your convicting power, Lord, and to, to know what it is to be close with you, Lord. I want, to, I want to be in a service tonight where we meet with you, not just with men. Father, I pray that you would be a part of this service, every part of it. May you be honored and glorified in it. Lord, remove my pride, remove my stumbling tongue. Lord, may I deliver this message, this church that's assembled to hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Abiding in Christ. Here we go. We're going to jump right through these things. It's not going to be long. It's not going to be drug out because these are simple principles. And that's why I pleaded with you at the beginning to not turn it off. Because you say, well, I'm walking with God. I'm walking with God. Well, I don't think most people even know what it means to abide with God, let alone walk with Him. 
far too often, if I say, what does it mean to abide with God? I think that we would say, well, it means to read our Bibles, and, and that is wrong. <laughs> that is a part of walking with God. But that is not walking with God. You have to be close to God in your spirit. The first thing that I need to point out, it must be pointed out tonight, is that in order to abide in Christ, there must be contact. There must be contact. Look what you would with me in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. We're going to move around. There's a bunch of different scriptures here, and so if you can't get to them all, uh, we may have to jump through some of them here quickly. But Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. The Bible says this, Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, that I may know him. Will you say that with me tonight? That I may know him. That I may know him. Know him. Understand him. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. That I may know him. In order to abide in Christ, we have to have contact with him. Now, isn't it sad, but let me say all too true, that we feel as though we can walk with God yet never have contact with him. That we can abide in Christ yet not have contact with him. We feel as though we're in the right relationship with Him, but fail to draw nigh to Him. We fail to allow our spirit time to separate from this world, to separate from the cares of this life, to pull ourselves away from the television, to pull ourselves away from the internet, to pull ourselves away from our entertainment, and to seclude ourselves to the Word of God. We fail to know Him all too often. The most visceral example that I could give of contact is obviously that of a man and woman that would help us to understand what our contact ought to be with the Lord. Sneak that hand holding in. Spend a little bit of extra on Valentine's Day. Try to get that date night in. Spend a little extra time That's the kind of contact I'm talking about. The kind of contact that says, not how little, but how much. The hard attitude that says, I just want a little bit more. Just a little bit more time. Just a little extra time together. And I hope that you can relate to that as far as that's how our relationship is. Our intimacy ought to be with God. It ought to be a closeness. It ought to be a contact that we desire and want. And and may I even say, uh, lust after. We want more of it. Our desires are that direction that we want more and more and more. I think that there are many Christians today who like God. We like God. But we don't love Him contact in order to abide in christ there must be contact john chapter 10 verse 14 i am the good shepherd just write it down if you would and you can look it up later john chapter 10 verse 14 i am the good shepherd and know my sheep oh well of course he's the good shepherd he knows his sheep and am known of mine and am known of mine Those sheep that spend all that time with the good shepherd up in that pasture know his voice. They know his touch. They know the grab, the 
the thrust, maybe even the whooping of his rod. But they know him. It's intimate. It's close. It's contact. So the question tonight is, are we abiding in Christ? And first off, what's the contact like? What's the closeness like? James chapter 4, verse 8. So common. Draw nigh to God. Everything that indicates me abiding in Christ indicates that I'm scooting just a little bit closer. A little bit closer. You know, the old... You know, you see in the movies. Sitting in the movies, the, the, the yawn around the shoulders. Snuggle in, baby. That's what God wants. He wants contact. The plea this, the plea this evening is not simply come unto me. The plea this evening is abide in Christ. Secondly, tonight, there must be consistency. If I'm to abide in Christ, it's not simply good enough for me to have contact. I must be consistent. Oh my, how this is convicting. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye... What's the word? Next word? Next phrase? Steadfast unmovable, always abounding. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters. You see, everything that indicates abiding in Christ tells me that I cannot be double-minded. I cannot be flip-flopping. I cannot be up and down. I cannot be inconsistent. I cannot be changing. I cannot be adjusting with society. I cannot be changing with the times. I must be consistent in my relationship with the Lord. One of the reasons that I can acknowledge that this is such a problem in our church today is because of the inconsistency of Christians. The inconsistency of believers. Up one day and down the next. That is an indication in my life and in your life that we are not abiding in Christ. And my, how the inconsistency is outrageous. You want exhibit A, get on social media. Look at Facebook, look at Twitter, look at Instagram, and see the happiness of one day and the utter despair of the next. It is outrageous. It's an indication of believers who are not abiding in Christ. How unstable are we? It ought not to be. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding is the complete opposite of wavering, unstable, never moving forward. Why is that growth not there? Because there's not consistency. We cause ourselves to be malnourished Christians. Not because the food is not abundant, 
Not because the table is not set and not because the chef doesn't know how to cook. It is simply because we do not indulge ourselves on a consistent basis. We must be consistent in our walk with God. Friend, it is good that you read the Bible Monday morning and you walked with God on Monday morning. But it is not good that you missed this morning. It is not good that you missed Tuesday morning or Tuesday. The consistency is so important in a believer's life. It causes growth. A child that doesn't get fed does not grow. How much more simpler can it be put? I can't put it much simpler. And, and again, I go back to the beginning where I pled with you, or I pleaded with you, don't turn me off because they're so obvious. But how close are we to God? Are we abiding in Christ? There must be consistency. Number three tonight, there must be concession. First, pa- uh, First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. If you look there with me this evening. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. While you're turning there, listen to the definition of conceit. To accept as true, valid, or accurate. There must be concession. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. You know what happens far too often in a Christian's life? Even if we are being uh, in contact with God and, and there is some consistency, you know what was one of the greatest failures of Christians today and is caused by pride is that we will not concede failure. We will not concede faults. We will not admit to a holy God that He is right that we are wrong. We like to justify. We like to excuse. We like to make up reasons or say we don't see it that way. But then the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, work on this. You must change this. Establish convictions. Set some standards. Work on your holiness. Work on your separation. You must be a soul winner. Hey, let's get this giving thing figured out. and Let's get back on track. Hey, let's be faithful to the house of God. He comes and he works. And then we uh, sit there and it just... It baffles your mind, really, when you sit back and you think about the fact that we are arguing with God whether He is right or not as He is convicting our spirit. I mean, how stupid is that argument? (laughs) In no court does it hold water. Yet we sit there and we... But, 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 but... And God's looking there with outstretched hands that are pierced Blood flowing from his hands and his feet and from the crown of thorns on his head. And, and we're trying to negate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. When he's saying, just agree with me. Far too often we want to fight. We want to make our point. And we stand in dis- disagreement with the, with the Holy Savior. We come to an altar even under conviction and we get down here and we pray acknowledging that, hey, God, you are right. And we walk out of the building forgetting the judgment, forgetting the conviction, forgetting our resolution to change. How do you know that this is what you experience? Because I've done it. Because I've been through it. 
There must be concession. In order to abide in Christ, Christ, we must be in agreement with God. When we are disagreeing with God, what we are doing is actually grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And when the Holy Spirit of God is grieved in our lives, we cannot be abiding in Christ. We have severed communication. We have severed fellowship. There can be no relationship. There can be no blessing. There can be no fulfilling of promises. There can be no fulfillment in our lives. There can be no joy. And in all honesty, we feel as though there is no hope when we have lost communication and fellowship with God. And that's where we step back and we say, why is my Christian life just not fulfilling? Well, it might be that you have come unto Him. It may be that your burden has been cast upon Him and you are yoked up with Christ. But maybe, Christian, tonight, is it possible that uh, you're just not abiding in Christ? Every time that we disagree with God, we try to make Him a liar. But let God be true and every man a liar. There must be concession. Fourthly, tonight, there must be confession. There must be confession. Proverbs chapter 28. We're going to have to move along here, so just write these things down. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Hey, believer, tonight, let me just be as, as clear as possible, transparent as possible, even if I could. I know it doesn't work. It does not work to cover your sins. Prosperity will not come when you cover your sins. You cannot abide in Christ when you are covering your sins. But how often do we pull out the camouflage and try to conceal? We act as though it doesn't exist. We pretend before a holy Savior that sees all, that it is not there. We grace the pew. We open the hymnal. We even read our Bibles on a daily basis. You say that's impossible. No, it's possible. It's called a form of religion, but denying the power thereof. It is what the Latter-day Saints are. It is the church that we live in today. The church age that we live in today. Lukewarm. Having need of nothing. Go look. Read Revelation. Read it. The description is right there. It is a group of people who live their Christian life, claim the power of a forgiving holy blood that has forgiven them of their sins. We, we take it upon us and we, we sing of the amazing power in the blood, yet we neglect to practice 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, how Satan dupes us by telling us that we just can cover it up and move on. That is not abiding in Christ. It is not walking with God. And it is the cause of so many Christians living in unfulfilled Christian life. Fruitless, joyless, no prosperity. There is so much sadness amongst Christians today. 
I mean, it's like, it's like morb- morbidity. Is that a word? Death. Morbid. That's how we act. So often that's how we act. No, no smile on our faces. The joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength, yet in our darkest hours we are falling to pieces. It's indication that we do not abide in Christ. There must be confession. We have got to get the sin out of our lives. We cannot allow things to remain. We cannot cover sin. When you cover sin, you will not prosper. He that uh, the, the last part of that verse, though, praise the Lord for it. Let's claim the promise and move forward. Do not be discouraged. Do not let sin hold you back. Do not let it hold you down. Because whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have Mercy. Hey, everything's not going to be peachy keen. There may not be 100% restoration. You may not have everything back the exact same way it was before you sinned, but you will have mercy. You will find forgiveness. Hey, things may not be perfect. There are consequences to sin. There are repercussions to sin. But you will find mercy. Mercy is to be had. It's simply confessing. He is there extending the forgiveness. Already the forgiveness is extended. Simply Confess the sin. If you are abiding in Christ, we must be confessing our sin. Fifthly tonight, there must be confidence. There must be confidence. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, so commonly known, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. Say, well, I feel like I'm abiding in Christ. You cannot abide in Christ when you are doing things your way. Too often we have our agendas. It's sad, but we do. We have our lives set out just exactly the way that we want them to go. And it could be something as simple as our career path choice or our retirement. God's trying to say, hey, I want you to go a different direction with your career. I want you to do a different thing with that amount of money you've got set aside. I want you to do a different thing with what you've got planned for your Saturday morning or your Sunday evening, or your Wednesday night. It may be that simple where the Lord is trying to show us something. Hey, I've got a plan for your life. And you know what we do? Eh, You know what? I've got my own plan, and it's over this way. And we say, well, I'm walking with God. And I, I pray, Pastor just talked about it, but it's so true. Uh, I prayed about it. Or, you know what I hear a lot from teenagers? Is my parents are okay with it. Oh, that's, that's fine. That's great. Is God okay with it? Because your parents don't answer for you. You answer for your own decisions. Now, they answer as far as for you as their responsibility. Don't, get, don't twist what I'm saying now. There is an re- individual responsibility of every single one in this room, young to old, about what decisions we make. Hey, your parents may not be where they should be. The, responsible may, the responsibility may be falling on your shoulder as a young person to make the right decision that your parents may let you go do something that you should not be doing. Is it what is pleasing to the Lord? We can amen that when it's the young people. But when it's us, stubborn, self-centered, messes with my plans... It's not so easy to amen. Let's be honest. You don't have to put on the fake. You don't have to put on... No, because when he starts to adjust our life, what if he takes somebody out of your life? Huh? 
What if he takes away your job? What if he takes away your stability? What if he takes away your health? Then what? You know, we fight. We fight. We fight. We fight. And hey, I know that and I understand that these things are not all easy things to experience. But is not his grace sufficient? It is when we are abiding in Christ. We must have confidence that he knows exactly what he's doing. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding. Are, hey, hey, church, is his ways our ways? Are his ways our ways? No. No. Nobody wants the answer. The answer is no. His ways are not our ways. Neither are his thoughts our thoughts. Hey, we can look at something and we can justify it away. and We can come up with the perfect solution. We can come up with the perfect answer. And it's so easy for us to sit back, analyze, and fix it. And God all the while is trying to reach down with his finger and, and just redirect us and, and put us back on path. And we fight it and we fight it and we fight it. But we cannot be abiding in Christ and have no confidence that he knows what's going on. That he's in control and that he has a purpose for it. And that that purpose is for our betterment. Oftentimes we don't see the good of the bad. We don't see the good in the bad. Or what we would perceive to be bad. But God, he knows. And he knows how to give good gifts. He knows how to give good gifts. And his process is not to put you through the fire to make you full of more dross. His process is not to just get you heated up so he can stir you up and get all things messed up in your life. The process is for him to heat you up, let those impurities and those things in your life rise to the surface so he can scrape them off so that I can become more into the image of his son. We have to have confidence. And finally, this, well, let, let's Job chapter 13. I, 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 want to, I want to read this verse. Let's everyone look at this real quick. Job chapter 13 and verse number 15. Talk about a man with confidence. Look at Job. If, if I could pull out one example, and, and I knew I didn't have time to look at somebody in the Bible, but if I had to pull out somebody in the Bible that was abiding in Christ, before Christ even died on the cross, here is a man looking forward to the cross. A man who doesn't have the word of God. A man who doesn't know the promises of God. A man who doesn't know half of what we know today because of the word of God. And here is Job who goes through one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, always abiding in Christ. It's amazing. Job chapter 13, verse number 15. Though he slay me. What is it? Yet will I trust him. Will you say it with me tonight? Yet will I trust him. Again, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We have got to have confidence that God knows exactly what's going on in our lives. 
And when we take a step back and try to take those reins into our hands and start to direct the ship, we are stepping out from abiding in Christ. We have removed ourselves from a position where God can bless, protect, provide, direct. You know, this, this is, young people, one of the most dangerous parts of abiding in Christ for you. I'm talking about those of you that are maybe 17 to 25, not married. You want to move on in your life anticipating what the future is and just wanting it all so badly. Far too often we take control of a ship we should not have control of. A ship that should be in the master's hands. We begin to make decisions that are not our decisions to make. Decisions where we should just be trusting him instead of relying on ourselves. Young people, they're in this room tonight. Can I encourage you? Have confidence in God. He knows what's going on. He knows your plot in life as you may see it. He may see uh, your lot. He may see how discouraging it is. Hey, He knows that you're single. He knows that you're not married yet. He knows what your heart desire is. He knows your desire for stability, for protection. Church member tonight, He knows your heart as well. And he's got the best plan. Stop trying to control it. Have confidence in God. The last thing tonight, just to touch on it, is number six. When we abide in Christ, there will be confirmation. It is not a fruitless endeavor to abide in Christ. When you abide in Christ, everything that happened when you came unto him is what you experience in your daily life. The call was, come unto me. Come unto me. All that are weak and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Come unto me. And when we came, we knew that peace. We knew the joy. We knew the love. We experience the fulfillment. And when we abide in Christ, there is confirmation of all of those things. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. John chapter 15, verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Hey, when you are abiding in Christ, you know the love of God like nobody else will. It'll be so real, tangible. You will know it. You will receive confirmation. Maybe at the beginning of the service tonight, you're thinking, man, I wonder if I really truly am abiding in Christ. Hey, there's confirmation when you are. You will know the peace that passes all understanding. You will be able to reach into that vast pool of his boundless supply where mercy and grace dwell that are new every single morning. You will see that your confidence has not been betrayed, that he does have your best interest at heart and will direct your path. See, as you have contact, consistency, 
concession, confession, and confidence, all of these things will be confirmed. And it will be confirmed by a closeness with a loving Savior who cares about everything in your life. Every little jot and tittle. Cares about the sparrow. He knows about the lily. It doesn't die. It doesn't bloom. A bird doesn't fall from the sky. He knows. He cares. He brings comfort. He is there when we abide. The question tonight, are we abiding in Christ? Are we abiding in Christ? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes tonight if you would. Go ahead and stand.